Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Greetings, conversationalists. Welcome. How are you? It's Eric Erickson here. Hope you had a great weekend. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I want to give you the lay of the land here now, just so you're prepared for it. So here all this week, Monday and Tuesday of next week, I'll be off doing a lot of cooking on Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving. Um, all of you, I hope, are prepared. Don't forget, uh, if you text recipe singular, recipe, not recipes, text recipe to 33777. I put out all the recipes last week uh, on the, the recipe website. We're going to rethink how we do recipes next year because it, it kind of becomes a burden to try to conjure up one every week. Um, but I wanted you all to have all the holiday recipes, and they're there. Um, nice little booklet. You can print out a PDF and get all the stuff that I'm cooking this holiday season, which I'll be doing a lot of next week. My turkey's on the way. I got a notice from Porter Road. Um, now, we got let's talk about the headlines, and let's talk about Tim Scott before we talk about anything else. There's a lot to discuss today from Biden going to San Francisco. They're cleaning up the streets there for Xi Jinping. Joe Biden going out there to talk artificial intelligence with the guy. They should probably just talk intelligence generally, but Biden can't do that. Uh, the Israeli situation, all the people in the streets. My gosh, did y'all see the protests over the weekend? How many terrorists do we have in this country and terrorist supporters? But first, Tim Scott. Tim Scott has announced, and he did it on Trey Gowdy's show on Fox over the weekend. Now, I, I should tell you, my, my buddy Joe uh, writes at Red State, and he sent me a funny note. He noted that Tim Scott announced on TV he was dropping out, and Someone from Vox emailed and said, hey, please credit Trey Gowdy's show. That's where they did it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I'm trying, I, I'm trying to process this, this information, and, and I'm trying to do it uh, on, on live television. So forgive me. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you are the highest ranking African-American Republican politician in the country. You were asked yes, to sir. give the response to the State of the Union, and I did not hear a single negative word about your response. I mean, that's usually a death sentence for people. You gave a great response to the State of the Union. You gave a nominating speech in 2020. You have introduced opportunity zones, and you have worked on criminal justice reform. Maybe I shouldn't ask you. Maybe I should ask the voters what it says about the Republican Party <laughs> that someone with that resume is suspending his presidential campaign. Um, Trey Gowdy and, and Tim Scott, obviously, Trey Gowdy from South Carolina Friends, caught him off guard, caught Tim Scott's staff off guard. Here's what I know. Tim Scott is not going anywhere in the presidential race, which was obvious, but his staff did not expect him to announce the suspension of his campaign on TV last night. They were as surprised as Trey Gowdy. Now, they obviously had to suspect something was coming because Tim Scott, for a time, got some traction in Iowa. I know some of his opponents, particularly DeSantis's team, they belittle anyone who is starting to get traction, including now Nikki Haley. Tim Scott got some traction in, in Iowa. No, it's not real. Don't believe it. Uh, he did for a time get some traction in Iowa, but it faded when the DeSantis team started airing ads and the Scott campaign could not keep up the airing of ads. And Scott faded back to 6%. 
Scott and Vivek Ramaswamy have been battling it out around the 4 to 6% mark in, in Iowa. Now, where does Tim Scott's vote go? I suspect most of it will help Nikki Haley. They're both from South Carolina. Uh, they're, they're both running a, a contrary to the Trump populist streak that is DeSantis's lane. So I suspect he's going to help Nikki Haley, who's about to drop $10 million in Iowa on an ad campaign. Now, the DeSantis people are all unified in their position that, that Nikki Haley daring to improve herself only helps Donald Trump, uh, and they're entitled to that. And mathematically, they may be right, but Nikki Haley is entitled as a candidate to try. Let her try. Who knows? She's running in her own lane. I, I, I tend to be sympathetic to the DeSantis argument that if Nikki Haley drops out tomorrow, her voters don't go to Trump. But if DeSantis drops out tomorrow, his voters do. Therefore, uh, he's the the preferred alternative to Trump. That makes sense to me. But, you know, Nikki Haley, I've known her for years. She's a good friend of mine, and she has always made her own lane in politics. And that is what people, particularly the DeSantis critics, miss about Haley is that she does not find a lane. Nikki Haley brings out the paving equipment and makes her own lane. She always has. She has always made her own lane. She's never been pigeonholed into, well, you're going to be the foreign policy lane or you're going to be the, the libertarian-leaning southern governor lane or, or whatever. She, she makes her own lane. She always has. That's how she's won. She's entitled to try again. It might not work. It might. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not very sympathetic to all the belly aching in that regard from the DeSantis people who are just convinced he must be the one, and yet he's not gaining a lot more traction right now. He's kind of been stagnant. Tim Scott's departure will help DeSantis some, but I suspect most of it goes to the Haley people in large part because Haley and Scott have both avoided the strong populist lane that DeSantis is running in. But what of Tim Scott himself? Tim Scott came to my gathering in August. He was actually the first person on stage that Friday. Had a great conversation with Tim Scott. He's a, a, a friend, like him a ton. He's just a, an all-around good guy. But that was part of the problem, too, is that when he got off stage, everybody loved the guy. They, they really, really like him. They applauded. They cheered. He had great lines. His mom was there. His aunt was there. Um, they were warmly received by the crowd, and he left. And I, I, the word that kept coming up was precious. People didn't want Tim Scott to be roughed up because they liked him too much. They, they didn't want him to have to be the nasty, angry guy they expect in politics. To some degree, it's a damning indictment on the individual voters of both parties that they think they've got to have someone who's going to throw punches and be a bull in a china shop and be a nasty guy. They think that's what it takes to win, and they don't want to try someone else who isn't like that, who stands out in a different way. That That's on the voters at the same time. Let's be honest here. You're going to have a nasty campaign, and you can't all shucks your way out of the attacks the Democrats are going to throw at you. There are a lot of people who just love Tim Scott. They like him so much they don't want to see him go through the hell that he would have to go through if he were the nominee, and that hurt him. There will be a lot of people who say, well, this is all on the voters. The voters are just good people can't run for office anymore. Only terrible people can run. That's not really true. But the good people, the nice people, the kind people who do run do have to be able to, like 
Christ in the temple overturn the money changers tables. You got to be able to throw a punch. And people didn't think Tim Scott could, would, or they didn't want him to get punched. If anything, Tim Scott's failure to launch his campaign is actually a testament to him, his character, and his likability. People are like, oh, I don't I don't want to see this guy get roughed up, and I don't want to see him, like, lose his soul to it, so I'm not going to vote for him. It actually is commendable to Tim Scott. He's dropping out like this. Now, there's something else to be said here. Tim Scott, who has a had a pulse, his campaign was going nowhere, but he he raised some money. He got on the debate stage. He still polled in the the mid single digits, six seven percent. Compare Tim Scott leaving to Asa Hutchinson and Doug Burgum, who refused to leave. Doug Burgum has issued a statement and said he's staying in through New Hampshire. It's kind of a damning indictment on the character of Asa Hutchinson and Doug Burgum that they at 0% would think that they should stay in when Tim Scott, who is at 6 or 7% and had greater name ID and visibility, decides, you know what, it's not worth it, I'm going to stay. Now, to a degree, Burgum and Hutchinson, they're not costing anyone anything. The race is not consolidating because of their entry. They're just kind of there. Their name's on the ballot and nothing more. But it is remarkable to me that a that a, a Will Hurd, who went nowhere like Burgum and Hutchinson, could have enough sense to say, oh, I, I, I'm not cutting it, I'm getting out. A Mike Pence who was polling better than Tim Scott in Iowa, could say, ah, time for me to get out. Tim Scott could say, ah, time for me to get out. And Asa Hutchinson and Doug Burgum say, oh, we're staying in, we're staying in, now's our time. You know what it, it reminds me of when I say it that way? Don't shoot me, Philip. For years and years that Philip has worked for me, he's a huge Tennessee fan. And Tennessee, with the exception of this weekend, didn't have a good weekend. But the University of Tennessee has definitely rebounded in its football program. It's it's had some great games lately. But for years, every year, no matter how bad they were, when football season started, my friend in orange would say, this is our year, this is our year. It was never their year. Still not, but getting closer. It's like Doug Burgum and Asa Hutchinson. It's like, this is our year. Tim Scott's gone. Mike Pence is gone. Will Hurd's gone. We're going to rally now. We're going to search. No, you're not. Get out. But they, they, no one can make them get out. And then there's Chris Christie, who I know and like, who is in Israel. Wanted to go see it for himself. It's not going to help Chris Christie. Having eyewitnesses does matter. And Christie's right on this, by the way. Chris Christie is in Israel, and he said he believes it's important to see it for myself and relate to the voters what I've seen, and he's right. And I found this with a number of people. There were a lot of people who last week wanted me to go see the video footage, the raw, unedited footage of the Hamas horrors. I couldn't bring myself to do it. I've I've already seen parts of it, and I, I still can't get it out of my head. I don't want to put any more of it in my head. But there were a lot of people who were like, listen, if you go see that it's real, I'll believe it. 
And that was Christie's point. It was worth going to Israel to see on the ground for himself what's going on to report back. I don't think it's going to help him because Republican voters are almost uniformly on the side of Israel. But it does give him some credibility in being able to narrate what's going on. But I don't think it helps his poll numbers. So I, I'm, I continue to, to be perplexed at Christie staying in the race. But between Christie, Hutchinson, and Burgum, Christie is actually like in third or fourth place in New Hampshire. Chris Christie has support in New Hampshire that these other guys don't have. It's just remarkable to me that the guys with the lowest name ID and the least support are the ones who are like, well, doggone it, we're going to stay in the race until after New Hampshire. I, I see no point. If you want to spend the money, spend the money. But at this point, they're not going to be on debate stages. They're not going to affect the race. The race is consolidated down to Nikki Haley versus Ron DeSantis. But there's a problem. It's Nikki Haley versus Ron DeSantis for second place. None of them still has a strategy for beating Donald Trump. They're still beating each other while Donald Trump is in first place with between 40 and 60%, depending on the state. They're relating, they're relying now on external affairs and external events to end Donald Trump, whether it's it's conviction or act of God lightning bolt or something to end Donald Trump's run for the presidency. Maybe they can find a way forward. And I will tell you this, and this God's honest truth, I don't think the Trump team would be continuing to pour as many resources into Iowa as they are against DeSantis and be using Ramaswamy as a, as a proxy to go after Haley if they themselves weren't seeing something that suggests some vulnerability there. The DeSantis theory has always been if you make Trump bleed in Iowa, people see, oh, he's, he's not inevitable, and that changes things everywhere else. And I think there's some legitimacy to that, and I think the Trump team thinks there's some legitimacy to that as well, or they wouldn't still be spending more money attacking DeSantis than promoting Trump or attacking Biden. And all of this shakes up a little bit more with Scott out of the running, and I suspect we're about to see more attacks on Nikki Haley because I do suspect that Tim Scott, though he says he's not going to endorse, that he and Pence, their support trends towards Haley. It's not a surprise to me that Haley has trended up further after Pence got out of the race. I think we'll see the same now with Scott getting out of the race. And if DeSantis can't figure out how to recapture some momentum in Iowa, we may be talking about a new second-place person in Iowa. They've got to figure out a way to do it, and I suspect the way they'll do it is try to blow up Haley with negative ads, which is why she's going up with $10 million and Scott out of the race. Well, it allows some real consolidation to finally happen. Guys, if you're a small, mid-sized business, you're struggling with HR issues, you have employees not showing up, or you got to do a termination, you need onboarding of employees, maybe there's a sexual harassment complaint. You want an HR manager. You don't want to be the bad guy with your employees. Bambi can play the role of HR for you. $99 a month, available by phone, email, real-time chat. They do onboardings, terminations. They help your team members get to peak performance. And your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations, regardless of which state. They're great. Now, they're U.S.-based. They, you got somebody to talk to who's dedicated to your team 
They give you access to HR expertise and they add personal touches. So even though they're outsourced by your company, they really feel like they're a part of your team. That matters. Go to Bambi.com right now. Type in Eric Erickson under podcast. When you sign up, it'll help my show. Bambi.com, B-A-M-B-E-E.com, Bambi.com, Eric Erickson in the podcast tab. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-973-7425. It is remarkable when you think about it that a black man represents South Carolina in the United States Senate and the former governor is of Indian descent. Um, given South Carolina's historic role in the Civil War. Now, if they were Democrats, of course, the media would make a huge deal out of it. They really would. Just think about this. Just think about this for just a minute. If Tim Scott, a black man who represents the heart of the Confederacy, South Carolina, where the first shots of the Civil War were fired, If he were a Democrat, if Nikki Haley, whose parents are Indian immigrants to the United States, if she was a Democrat, the American mainstream media would make a huge deal about it. It's like every time there's a year of the woman, it's Democratic women. Every time it's year of the non-white politician, it's Democratic politicians. You got in the heart of the Confederacy a woman of Indian descent and a descendant of slaves who were premier leaders of the Republican Party, and the media totally ignores it because it doesn't fit the narrative. Remember, the narrative is all intersectional, and because they're on the side of the Republicans, they're on the side of of the privileged white elite in the minds of the media, so they get ignored despite the historic progress, their elections signal. Everything the media gives us these days is in the form of racial narrative, and they don't fit it, so they get ignored. But... It shows progress. Now, I got to tell you about Americans for Prosperity around the country. They, including in South Carolina, uh, I talk every week to Candace Carroll from South Carolina on uh, WORD over there. And she's an Americans for Prosperity leader around the country. American for Prosperity leaders educate people on why free markets and free people are a good idea. Why limited government is a good idea. Uh, Candace is a, a grassroots organizer in South Carolina. They've got them in 36 states and growing in the others. And those grassroots leaders work with the grassroots. They train them. They make them really effective activists. They give them all the knowledge they need to make persuasive arguments for limited government, free markets, and free people, for deregulation, for school choice, for tax cuts, for so much more. And you can be a part of it by going to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Go sign up with AFP and be part of a big movement for limited government across the nation. Hello there. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-973-7425. If you text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777, you can get the live stream, the podcast, the show notes. I, I, and I got to I gotta put in an obnoxious plug, and, and I hate doing it, but it's become necessary. Oh. If you text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777, and you subscribe to the podcast, I would prefer that you listen to this program on your local radio station. But for other radio stations that are not yet carrying me to carry me, they want to know, like, podcast numbers and stuff and prove that I have listeners. So you subscribing actually helps me grow the station on more radio stations. It's such a weird business. 
Okay, let, let's move on to Joe Biden. He's got some problems. The New York Times Siena College poll shows about 22% of black voters right now leaning towards Donald Trump, who is kicking Joe Biden's butt in swing states across America. Now, don't rely on the number. It's not that the number is wrong, and I know how everybody feels about polling, but the election's a long way away. And the odds of a wave of Democratic voters going to Donald Trump is less likely than the other scenario that helps Donald Trump, which is they just stay home. Now, as you can tell, if you can't see me, with a name like Eric Erickson, I assure you that if I took one of those Ancestry.com tests and what's his name from PBS were to look at it, I would come back as Lily White. I mean, good Lord, I doubt I have any uh, black ancestry within either side of my family. And here I am commenting on the black vote. (laughs) You'll have to deal with it. I'm sorry, but I can tell you as a student of history and politics, though I am not of the race, I do understand something about black voters, some of whom are friends of mine. They're going to stay home. There will be some younger black voters who go vote for Donald Trump. We saw this in 2020. We saw this with Ron DeSantis in 2018 in his first election in Florida. Andrew Gillum uh, decided he wanted to get rid of school choice in Florida, and a significant number of black mothers voted for Ron DeSantis. In 2022 against Charlie Crist, a significant number of young black men voted for Ron DeSantis in Florida. In 2020, a significant number of black men, younger black men in particular, voted for Donald Trump on the issue of jobs, and not just in Florida, around the country. But older black voters really tend to not be able to bring themselves to vote Republican. They just can't do it. But what they do is they stay home, and that helps the Republicans, and they know it. They're not going to go vote for Trump, but they stay home. Biden has more and more a lot of growing problems. There's a story in the Politico. It's written by Jonathan Martin, senior political columnist and the political bureau chief. He says his piece is, here's how Biden can turn it around. Top Democrats agree the president needs more aggressiveness, more help from his friends, and a few more friends. Liz Cheney, Rahm Emanuel, Mitt Romney can help. Uh, I don't know that Mitt Romney's going to help so much as run third party. We'll see. But let me just read you this snapshot here. Biden is indeed in peril. The New York Times battleground survey was no outlier, as made clear by a new poll from Bloomberg Morning Consult that reflects the same cold fact. The president begins his reelection as the underdog. For Biden to use fundraisers, as he did Thursday, to deny his difficulties and complain about press coverage may be therapeutic, but it doesn't help him any likelier to defeat Trump once more. 2024 will be an extraordinary election, and it demands extraordinary measures. That's in part for reasons Biden refuses to accept. Listen to this. This is in Politico, not exactly a conservative publication. If anything, it's gotten more and more left. Even as Jonathan Martin started out in the conservative press, he's a 
pretty fair reporter. He calls it as he sees it. And this is how he's calling it for Joe Biden in Politico. Joe Biden's capacity to do his job. The oldest president in history when he first took the oath, Biden will not be able to govern and campaign in the manner of previous incumbents. He simply does not have the capacity to do it. And pay attention to this one. His staff does not trust him to even try as they make clear by blocking him from the press. Biden's bid will give new meaning to a Rose Garden campaign, and it requires accommodation to that unavoidable fact of life. Moreover, and on this Biden would agree, this election will be exceptional because of the threat Trump poses. The former president is an exiled strongman who's taken over a traditional political party and is attempting to reclaim office to consolidate power and punish his enemies with little regard for the Constitution. Just ask him. With the increasingly likely possibility that this will be a multi-candidate election and Biden at risk of being denied the nose-holding votes he needs from independents and pre-Trump Republicans, the president's margin for error is nil. If Biden thinks the country is on the line, he should act like it. That's in Politico. There's a little bit of irony here. For those of you who are Democrats who are listening, In 2020, Joe Biden was the Democrat to beat Trump. People kind of forget the Elizabeth Warrens, Kamala Harris's, Bernie Sanders of the world. They all lost to Donald Trump in general election head-to-head polling. In fact, Joe Biden, when he entered the race in early 2020, I think it was in February of 2020, he finally got, no, 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 it was was, mid to late um, 2019, but, but headed into the Iowa caucuses. In 2020, Joe Biden's entire ad campaign at the time was the polling. Remember this? Joe Biden's ad campaigns in the primary for the Democratic nomination in 2020 was all about the polling. Only Joe Biden can beat Donald Trump. That was his message in 2020. And it is remarkable the arrogance of his campaign now that to see the polling from the New York Times, to see the polling from Bloomberg, to see the polling from CNN, and in 2020 it was, I'm the only guy who can stop Trump, you must vote for me, to now be, I'm the only guy losing to Trump, you must vote for me. It's really remarkable. If Joe Biden really thinks Donald Trump is that big a threat, he should step aside and take Kamala Harris with him because she's no better in the polling than he is, but he will not do it. And the reason Joe Biden will not do it is because of Kamala Harris and the Democratic primary. He does not want a nasty primary fight, an expensive primary fight. He would rather everyone stay in line with him then find someone else to vote for and and have a fight between Kamala, Buttigieg, Gavin Newsom, and the like. And that makes some sense. Except here's a problem. Joe Biden won in 2020 with independent voters. Joe Biden won in 2020 with moderate voters. Joe Biden won in 2020 with, to some degree, Republican voters. And Joe Biden won in 2020 with black voters. You fast forward to 2022, 13% of the Republican Party. This is not the pre-election polling. This is the actual 
exit polling from around the country of the people who actually voted early absentee and election day. And 13% of Republicans said, screw it, I'm voting Democrat, I can't stand Donald Trump. And that's why the Democrats did way better than expected. The problem is those voters are now so mad at Joe Biden and so hurt by the economy that 13% of the GOP, they're not going to go vote Joe Biden. They may stay home, but they weren't going to vote for Trump anyway. So that helps Trump. Black voters, they may not go vote for Donald Trump, but if they stay home, it helps Donald Trump. Independent voters are actually going to go vote for Donald Trump, according to this polling. Now, there's a long time between now and next year. We're, we're slightly less than 365 days from that election. Events do change things, but all of the events right now seem to be heading against Joe Biden, and he can't wrap his head around it. Joe Biden simply cannot process the fact that he is losing to Donald Trump. And all the Democrats can do is say, hey, it's not that bad. You got Jim Messina out there who ran ran Barack Obama's campaign saying, hey, guys, I was Barack Obama's re-election campaign manager. Here's why it's not so bad. At this point, Mitt Romney was beating Barack Obama in the polling, and we won. It's not so bad, except the fundamental underlying demographics and economic data of 2024 is different from 2012. Of course black voters were going to turn out and reelect the first black president of the United States. But Joe Biden is losing them, and Kamala Harris never had them. And then there is the age issue. It doesn't matter how much Joe Biden and the Democrats complain that it's a press-generated narrative. It's actually an issue. Over the weekend, Donald Trump was on a campaign stage, and he referenced Barack Obama as President of the United States. That's right. Donald Trump said Barack Obama was President of the United States, not Joe Biden. The Democrats have seized on that. And several other misstatements Trump has made in the last couple of weeks. He, I think this is the second time in the last couple of weeks he's said Obama was president, not Biden. Undoubtedly, it's because uh, Donald Trump read an article that purports that Barack Obama is pulling the strings behind the scenes. And that's what he means. And, of course, the press doesn't ever get the nuance of anything Donald Trump says, like the vermin remark we'll get to. But the Democrats are trying to highlight these issues with Donald Trump's mind and memory and suggest, oh, well, he's old too. And see, that's a problem, though. It's a damning indictment on Joe Biden. They've no longer decided that they can fix the issue. They're trying to drag Trump down too and make them both look like old and feeble dementia-addled patients. That, that's their strategy here, to neutralize the issue for Joe Biden by making it look like Donald Trump has the same problems when Donald Trump does not. That's kind of a, a, a damning indictment on Joe Biden's path to re-election is that the Democrats can't fix his brain, they can't fix his stamina, they can't fix his age, they can't fix the way he functions in public, and so instead they're trying to drag Trump down and say, look, he does it too, he does it too, he does it too, except there's a problem. Joe Biden is the visible president of the United States, and Donald Trump, by and large, is the invisible man behind the scenes who's running for president. He doesn't get the same airtime, and he doesn't get the same fawning press trying to cover stuff up for him, and the public knows it. And some of you will notice how I've been talking about a Trump versus Biden rematch. 
it's not a sure thing, but it's more and more headed that way. Unless something turns the corner for Haley or DeSantis, it's headed that way. And Democrats have insisted the whole time that Donald Trump would be so easy to beat. The problem for the Democrats is the polling shows otherwise. And the DeSantis people and the Haley people and other Republicans who don't like Trump say, well, this is all by design. It's a trap. They're going to get us the nom- they're going to get Trump the nomination with all this flattering polling and then the polls are going to shift dramatically. They might, but it's not what the pollsters are doing. Not the, not the credible ones. The the New York Times, you know, New York Times may be of the left, but they like their pollster to be a gold standard. They got 2020 and 2022 very accurate in the primaries and in the general. They're not trying to dramatically disrupt it. I know it's easy for people to believe it. People want to believe it so it becomes true for them. That's not the reality. But the reality right now is Democrats, every alarm in America, every red light in America is flashing that Joe Biden is going to be beaten by Donald Trump. And you guys have so many internal problems. And Joe Biden is literally the glue holding your entire party together. Take Joe Biden to the to the, the glue factory. He's the old horse. He's gluing you guys together. The moment he steps aside, the moment he goes away, the Democratic Party fractures like the Republican Party among the left and the far left, among the people who stand for Israel and the people who stand for Hamas, among the wokes, among the not woke liberals. It's Joe Biden who holds it all together, which is why they cannot part ways with him right now, even as they need to if they really want to be competitive in 2024. Oh, black voters don't like Joe Biden anymore. They may not go vote for Donald Trump, but if they stay home, it's as good as a vote for Donald Trump, and Joe Biden can't persuade them to come vote for him. Why? Because their cities are unsafe, their schools have collapsed, and the economy sucks for them. And that's all happened under Joe Biden, and it wasn't that way when Donald Trump was president, and they remember. And then you got all these problems with banks, too, in the country. You had the big bank in Iowa collapse the other day you got credit downgrades for banks. You've got economic turmoil out there, still inflation, all these sorts of things. No wonder my friends at Swiss America have been sounding the alarm about the secret war on cash. The all-out assault on our freedom. Soaring interest rates are squeezing the economy. Banks are teetering on collapse. More are having to get bailed out or shut down by the Fed. Swiss America can educate you on ways to protect your hard-earned assets now. Go read the report, The Secret War on Cash. Your copy's free by calling or texting my name to 800-289-2646. The all-out war on cash includes digital forms of currency. It's spreading daily. Go read The Secret War on Cash. It is free to you. This special report will show you how the government and corporations are conspiring to force you into using plastic and not cash, and they'll teach you how to save your hard-earned assets. Mention my name, Eric Erickson. When you call or text 800-289-2646, that's 800-289-2646. You can also go to SwissAmerica.com slash Eric. SwissAmerica.com slash E-R-I-C-K or 800-289-2646. Message and data rates apply. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
Greetings. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Wherever you are nationwide, if you're buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, reach out to them. Those are the deals they specialize in. Banks giving you a hard time. See if First Liberty can help you. FirstLibertyGA.com. FirstLibertyGA.com. Y'all, I, I got to play you just, uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'll deal with this when we get back. Um, instead, let me tell you, it, it, happening now, this should be a national story. This is one of my frustrations with the way some stuff gets covered. Um, there's a police training facility being built just south of Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, the progressive activists, Antifa members and the like, have been calling it uh, Cop City. And they are opposed to Cop City. And they are rioting in the streets right now. Police are firing tear gas. Uh, they are firing um, uh, flashbangs uh, into the crowd to disperse the crowd They're tr- who are trying to stop these, this facility from being built. The facility will train police officers, emergency workers, firefighters, EMTs, and they're opposed to it. They're convinced it's just going to train the police on how to kill black people. Now, most of the people in Atlanta actually support it. Most of the protesters who are fighting it aren't even from Georgia. But uh, it's a bunch of uh, white trust fund kids from New England and, and the upper Northwest who have showed up in Atlanta with their their stench and are fighting this uh, police facility. And the police have finally had enough. They've gotten aggressive. They intend to build the place. What's so notable about it is that local authorities, local authorities in DeKalb County, Georgia, where, where it's being built, took a very hands-off approach with the protesters let them take over, let them booby trap the area, let them plant explosive devices and the like until they tried to firebomb a fire station. And then the governor and the attorney general stepped in in the state, and it has been no holes barred. Uh, they have, have cleaned this area up. A police officer was shot at. They wound up killing the man who tried to kill the police officers. And that guy, that these left-wing protesters have martyred the guy, denying that he did what he did. But the state of Georgia is having none of it. And and today the police have had enough. They're firing tear gas, dispersing the crowds. Good. Build the facility. Build the facility. I just round these people up, lock them up, throw away the key, let mommy and daddy fly down from New England to take them home. But build the facility. Arrest these people. 